My good people, greetings. The time has come. Are you ready for some football? Well, I'll have it all covered here on this special edition of the J Reels podcast. This is your host, J Reels. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this content for the first timers tuning in. And for those who've been with me on this journey for now, 89 episodes on this very special 2019 NFL preview. I welcome you guys back. Obviously, I have lots to cover here as we'll do a deep dive on this 2019 NFL season. I'll break down all the divisions. You'll get all of my predictions, whether it be obviously the Super Bowl, my knockout pool predictions, over under numbers. We'll have it all for you on the back end of this podcast. But my special guest to kick us off is none other than esteemed NFL writer Gary Myers. He of The Athletic, formerly of the New York Daily News. He's been writing for over 40 plus years. If you're in the New York area, you're certainly familiar with his work. And not only that, but also he's an author as his last couple of books, I'm sure you may have heard of, Brady versus Manning, as well as How About Them Cowboys. So we'll handicap the NFL season with him, and then we'll come back with me as I break down everything that's happening in this 2019 NFL season. So enjoy my conversation here as we kick off the podcast with NFL writer Gary Myers. What are two of the three top storylines that you feel coming into this NFL season that are pretty much going to be front and center moving forward? Well, you know, certainly, you know, what does Brady have left at the age of 42? Um, I I think we're all curious to see if there's going to be a drop-off. I mean, there's going to be a drop-off. It's just a question of when it happens. Uh, He's defying history as it is. Right. So, um, I think that's a big story. <laughs> then you have, um, you know, Zeke Elliott's holdout, which looks like it's about to come to an end. And what kind of impact can he have right away on the Cowboys season? Then you have Le'Veon Bell after sitting out last year in Pittsburgh, uh, coming to the Jets and giving them uh, a real focal point of that offense, both running the ball and catching the ball coming out of the backfield. Can, can some of these teams that have had just heartbreak in the playoffs for a number of years, like the Saints in the NFC Championship game and the and the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, can can they each get over that that barrier that will take them to the Super Bowl? I know they're a trendy pick for a lot of people to each get to the Super Bowl this year, but um, um, in, I think both both uh, conferences have a number of Super Bowl contenders this year. So I think it's going to be a really interesting season. It's the 100th anniversary of the NFL. And I know there's going to be a lot of stuff going on, you know, celebrating that. And I think that the um, that the competitive aspect of the league um, where one or two plays decides every game, uh, I, I think it's going to be really good this year. It's going to be a really interesting season to watch. Yeah, and like you mentioned, the 100th NFL season. Now, I'm sure the people in Foxborough would love to have this first game on Thursday night. Uh, does it bother you as a fan and also as a writer who's covered this uh, league for so long? Uh, would you like to have seen Steelers-Patriots on Thursday night? Or would you feel that because of the deep history between the Bears and Packers that you're certainly perfect with that uh, kicking off the NFL season? Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, the, the Packers and the Bears are certainly, you know, probably the most traditional rivalry in the NFL. So to let them start off the hundredth season, uh, that doesn't bother me at all. And um, it's, it's not like the Thursday night game has been uh, the home opener for the Super Bowl champion forever. Right. It's, it's really, 
maybe like the last 15 years or so that the NFL went to that concept of letting the, the Super Bowl champion have a standalone home opener on the Thursday night, you know, before opening weekend. And, um, I mean, this is the one time that teams probably don't mind playing a Thursday game because they'd have all summer to get ready for it. They hate playing the Thursday games in the middle of the season. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think it's, I think teams like playing the opening game on Thursday night. Obviously, if it's a Super Bowl champion, that means they've won. And the visiting team, although they're at a disadvantage playing a tough team in the first Thursday night, you know, if you win that game, then you get 10 days off to regroup for, for game number two. But as far as, um, you know, taking away any of the, the fanfare of the beginning of the season, um, I think making the, the exception and letting the Packers and the Bears open up was a good idea. And then you get the Patriots and the Steelers in the Sunday night opener, which, you know, draw a tremendous audience. Of course. And then uh, speaking of Brady, I know you mentioned him before as far as being one of the top storylines coming into the season. Obviously, you authored the book Brady versus Manning, and I believe that was back in 2016. So here it is now, three years later. Are you shocked, surprised that he is still performing at a high level? Now, granted, we got to see how he's going to perform this coming year, but considering the system, Belichick, etc., are you still shocked that he's able to be as productive as a player now than he's pretty much ever been? Well, sure. I mean, because it's never, it's never <laughs> been done before at this level. I mean, there's quarterbacks who have played past the age of 40, but not playing at an MVP caliber level and, and, and certainly not winning Super Bowls. So uh, I am surprised, but then, you know, knowing Tom and knowing how he takes care of himself, working out in the offseason uh, some of the things he's um, done nutritionally uh, I, I you know he's just he's setting a new standard and breaking barriers each year that he plays and plays great so uh, yeah I, I would say it's surprising I can't tell you when it's going to end because uh, there's I think there's a little bit of a drop off last year for, in the middle of the season mm-hmm. But that also had a lot to do with the fact that he didn't have the kind of weapons um, that, you know, were really able to sustain success with big numbers through the course of the season. But he certainly picked it up in the playoffs. It was a low-scoring Super Bowl. But listen, I think if you look at it right now, can you say that you know that Tom Brady is now 42 instead of 32? Well, of course. Mm -hmm. But would you still rather have him than – just about every other quarterback, if not every other every other quarterback in the NFL, yeah. I mean, he's, he's still, you know, very much in the elite level. And speaking of elite level, uh, the person that or the player that he was up against in the AFC Championship game last year, Pat Mahomes, I know that Kansas City was just that close for going to a Super Bowl if it wasn't for D. Ford. And I know a lot of expectations, even bringing in Shady McCoy, who I understand is long in the tooth, but reunited with Andy Reid from his days in Philly. I'm sure that's going to be uh, add a little extra pep to his step. Do you feel that the KC is pretty much the only threat in the AFC to the Patriots, or is there maybe another team that we're overlooking at this point? Well, the way I look at it is what team is going to be able to beat the Patriots in the AFC championship game? Because I really look at it to get there. They only have to win one game. You know mm-hmm. they're going to win the AFC East. Oh, yeah. And you know they're going to have a really good record. They'll get them a first-round bye. And – unless something unusual happens, they'll play that first round game at home. And then it's just a matter, is there another team that can get the number one seat over them? And then we saw, you know, last year Kansas city did that 
and they still couldn't beat them. Right. So, the, other than Kansas City, I would say this. You know, you never count out the Steelers because of, because of Ben. I know they'll, they'll miss Antonio Brown, um, but maybe having him out of that locker room will turn out to be a positive. Um, I, I certainly don't buy into the Cleveland Browns. I think they'll be a really fun story to keep an eye on, and I probably should have mentioned them early on when he asked me about the key storylines. Mm-hmm. I, I think the Browns will be fun, but they have absolutely zero history of success there, so I don't, I don't see them... I mean, I can see them making the playoffs, but um, I don't see them going very far. You know, the, the AFC South, there's been a lot of recent changes in Houston. I think the Jaguars are going to have a bounce-back year. But I don't think any of these teams, you know, the Chargers, um, without Melvin Gordon, um, I don't know how long that's going to last, that hold out there. But you, you look at teams... Who can even beat the Patriots if they get the AFC Championship game at home? And I guess that what it comes down to, I think that you know Kansas City and Pittsburgh could do it, but I don't think Pittsburgh's going to wind up with a better record than the Patriots. And and Kansas City has this huge mental barrier of playoff failures to get over. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though Mahomes has only been starting, it's only his second year. The, the Chiefs under Randy Reid and before that, Vermeil and Schottenheimer and all mm-hmm. these coaches, they've been a heartbreak team in January. And yeah. Andy Reid has not been a good January coach. Mm-hmm. No, And that's the tricky thing about the AFC because although there are teams that look like they could stack up against the Patriots, but considering for everything that you just laid out, going to have the at least a divisional game at home, chances are maybe even the AFC championship game at home, especially with that cold weather in Foxborough, what team is going to go in there to do that? And, of course, you mentioned the Browns. Uh, I don't believe the hype, despite the fact that they've assembled all this talent and certainly could either be boom or bust. Uh, the Chargers, they never seem to win in Foxborough. And that's the one thing. It, it seems like, like you said from the top, the Patriots are pretty much one of the storylines until either the coach is gone or the quarterback finally retires. It, it almost is a foregone conclusion that this team is going to be pretty much the last one standing in the AFC. Yeah, or at least one of the last two stand. And, um, you know, and if you get to that AFC championship game, you know, you got to knock out the champion. And they've been such a tough out, both in AFC championship games and Super Bowls, that, uh, it, it, like you said, Jay, in, until one of those two are gone, it's very hard to pick against them, at least getting to the Super Bowl. No, I totally agree with you. And before we go to the NFC, I want to kind of wrangle all the rookie head coaches that uh, are around the league, uh, and of course, including one, uh, Freddie Kitchens in particular in uh, Cleveland. But when you look at whether it's Brian Flores, uh, even Cliff Kingsbury, Matt LaFleur, et cetera, down the line, uh, who do you think has the most uh, challenging, and not only that, but maybe even be the most successful for this coming year? Well, you have to say that Freddie Kitchens has the most talent to work with. Um very unheralded coach. He was just run, the running back coach last year mm-hmm. uh, for most of the season. Um, but he has an awful lot to work with there with, with Mayfield and Beckham and, and Landry and some of the running backs they put together. And Kareem Hunt will be back at midseason. Um, so I would probably give him the best chance of success. Uh, a lot of these other guys are, you know, taking over, you know, programs that really haven't had, um, a lot of success now Matt LaFleur is a little bit different obviously because he's going to Green Bay mm-hmm. and he's got Aaron Rodgers but you know the Packers have slipped a lot the last couple of years so and I'll be interested to see 
whether a new coach rejuvenates Aaron Rodgers, who has not been able to lift the team to a new level um, the last couple of years. Um, and then, you know, Cliff Kingsbury will certainly be interesting to see uh, if a coach who could, just got fired in college can step into an NFL head coaching job uh, with the Heisman Trophy winner in Kyler Murray and, and make a college offense work in the NFL. And then the coach I feel sorry for is Brian Flores in Miami. Oh, yeah. I'm sure he knew what he was getting himself into, but uh, this is the most blatant attempt that I've seen in a long time at tanking a season right. to get the number one draft pick next year. Yeah, it's certainly going to be a long year, and obviously with all the trades that they made just the other day, you know, sending uh, Laramie Tunsil and, of course, uh, Kenny Stills, uh, yes, yeah, so you would think it's going to be a long season down in Miami. Uh, and then, of course, I'd be remiss to talk about the Jets. Now, when you look at the, just in the last, I guess, dozen years or so, whether it's Eric Mangini, uh, or Todd Bowles, of course, the uh, former coach, uh, Herm Edwards, a lot of these coaches in their first year as uh, tenure of the Jets, they either made it to the playoffs or at least had a wing- winning record. Do you expect the same from Adam Gase this coming season? Um, that's a really good question. I think that um, I think the Jets are really going to be an interesting story this year. Uh, I would, I believe that Sam Darnold is going to be the breakout player in the league. That mm. uh, he's really going to take to Adam Gase's um, fast tempo offense. I think that's when Darnold plays his best, and and having Le'Veon Bell with him and. Um, Robbie Anderson is is kind of emerged as a real deep threat, and they got Jamison Crowder from the Redskins to play the slot, and Quincy Inunua, who's a, a really good over the middle receiver. I, I think he's got a lot to work with there, and um, whether they make the playoffs uh, this year, I mean, I think they'll come close, and then you know they can certainly. I'm picking them to sneak in and hold the wild cards. Hmm. Um, but this is just the first step for the Jets. You know, Donald's just in his second year. I mean, it doesn't mean he can't win a Super Bowl in the second year. Mm-hmm. Brady did that, and he didn't even play his first year. Right. Um, but I, I would think the natural progression here for the Jets would be to uh, make a, a really good run at the playoffs, possibly you know get in as a wild card, and then have a, a strong offseason, a good draft, be Joe Douglas's first draft for the Jets. And then I, I think by next season, um, really be able to make a very, very strong push at overtaking the Patriots. And as we turn our attention now to the uh, NFC, I, I think the NFC is certainly a lot more loaded than the AFC. Of course, we talked about the top-heavy teams, New England, Kansas City in particular. But uh, in the NFC, whether it's, Obviously, the NFC South, whether you have either Carolina, who could maybe take that leap forward, considering that you know they started off 6-2 and two and then fizzled down the stretch. We know about New Orleans. Obviously, Philly may have a bounce-back year, you would think, even with Carson Wentz you know, in the picture and not Nick Foles. Dallas, if Ezekiel Elliott uh, happens to sign on the dotted line and is playing Sunday, of course, you can't forget the Rams. Uh, of course, the, the Green Bay, if they have a bounce-back year, it, it's going to be fully loaded to me when you try to decipher who could come out of this conference, despite the fact that you mentioned earlier that the Saints were just that close from making it to the Super Bowl, how do you shape up the NFC uh, looking forward for this year? I would think that Sean Payton has his hands full getting his team 
ready emotionally after that brutal loss in Minnesota two years ago. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then the officials costing them a game and a trip to the Super Bowl last season. Um, I, I think the Saints were awfully talented. But um, I think just getting themselves geared up just to reach the point they were at last year, it, it's very difficult to do. But Sean is one of the best coaches in the league, and I'm sure he spent the offseason trying to figure out how to get his team in the right mindset at the start of the season. Uh, my, my pick for the NFC really is, is, is Dallas. Mm. Uh, I, I think they have the best young talent in the NFL. Um, the, their defense is, is very underrated, and I think their offense, if Dak plays well, uh, you know, can be explosive, bringing in a, um, Amari Cooper last year. I, I Maybe six or seven games into the year completely changed. Uh, their offense. They gave him a really uh, A-level receiver, and he made he made Dak better. And he's got a big wingspan and was able to uh, bring in catches that otherwise might have been picked off or incomplete. Um, so I, I really do like Dallas this year. I think they're a team uh, that got a little taste of playoff success last year after they beat the Seahawks in the wild card game. Uh, they couldn't stop the run at all against the Rams in, in the second round right. and were eliminated. I, I see them as the team that's ready to take that next step. It, it, but it's going to be a great race, you know, in the NFC East between Dallas and Philadelphia, assuming that Carson Wentz stays healthy. He was able to stay healthy his rookie year. The last two years, he hasn't been around when the playoffs got here. And it was a big gamble, I think, on the Eagles' part to trade Nick Foles, who was – the best insurance policy in the NFL. No, without question. And interesting, sticking with the NFC East, I know a lot of the talk here locally with the Giants is pretty much the Daniel Jones watch as to how this team's going to get off to a quick start, and they would need to because their schedule later on is going to be very tricky. So if you were a betting man, Gary, and if I were to ask you, at seven and a half games, would you take the over or the under on when Daniel Jones makes his NFL debut? Well, it's seven and a half. Um, do you have your schedule right in front of you? Uh, I could pull it up. Let's see. They well, we know they have the Cowboys the first game. Uh, they have Ho- host game. Buffalo right uh, week two. Uh, if you want to bear with me for a second, I could pull that up. Uh, I know the first six games certainly for them are favorable, and you would think that they were at minimum should go three and three. They could possibly go four and two. All right, here we go. We got. Uh, all right, so they go to Tampa, followed by the Redskins at home, Vikings at home, which that could be a tricky game. And then they go to Foxborough, followed by Arizona at home, then the Lions. And then after that, it's just tough. I mean, they have the Cowboys at home, followed by a road game at the Jets, if you want to call that a road game. Uh, they go to Chicago, Green Bay. They host the Eagles. Don't Miami. they have to buy after the Jets? Yes, in fact, they do. Yes, I did overlook that, so my apologies there. Right. No, the reason I was the reason I pointed that out is that that would be I'm not sure how many games that is, maybe 10 games. Uh, let's see um, if I count. It's two, three, four. That's actually nine games, nine games. OK, that's where I think uh, if they're not in playoff contention after nine games, I think that's where they make the change, because then you have the bye week to get the kid ready to play. Right. And um, now you know, after nine games, if they're five and four, it's a tough call. That's 
they were five and four when um, Tom Coughlin benched Kurt Warner in 2004 Correct. to go to Eli. The Giants were five and two, then they were five and four. He made the change, and Eli lost his first six starts. But it, you know, obviously, it paid off um, as his career went on to get that experience in his first year. I, I would think that as long as the Giants are in contention and Eli is playing well, that he'll hang on at least to the bye week. But if they start, you know, one and five or one and six with losses to the Bills at home and and then Tampa and, and Washington, right? You know, teams that are sort of on their level, mm-hmm. that uh, the change will come sooner than later. And uh, you know, on one hand, I think if if really if there was no p- political pressure involved here. Um, I think Daniel Jones would be the starting quarterback for the first game of the season. Mm. But I think they are very sensitive to Eli and what he's meant to the organization. And by bringing him back this year, they basically handed him the starting job to open the season. Although you have to say that even though Daniel Jones was playing against second and third team defenses that weren't game planning or anything like that, that he was very impressive in, in the four preseason games and at least gives giant the Giants and their fans you know, hope that, that maybe they have a long-term quarterback, you know, wait, waiting to go over. Oh, sure. And uh, as far as the uh, teams that may surprise us or even disappoint us for that matter, do you have a team uh, or two that stick out, uh, one surprise and one disappointment, not necessarily in each conference, but just uh, a team that you think that could actually make some waves this year and other teams that you feel that uh, will take a step back? Yeah, I'm not quite on the Bears bandwagon like everybody is. Right, I agree. I, I'm not sold on Trubisky, and I know their defense is real good, and Khalil Mack is terrific. But um, So I'm not sold on the Bears. I think they could take a step back um, after they played real well last year. As far as the team taking a step up, I mean, I mentioned the Jets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I won't say the Browns because everybody's you know, picking them. Um, I think Jacksonville will... They were in the AFC Championship game two seasons ago, and they were horrible last year. So back here, but like a team that hasn't had any recent success, really stepping up besides Cleveland and the Jets. I would say, um, I think the 49ers, as long as Garoppolo can stay healthy, and that he plays as well as he did. The few times he had a chance to play in New England, and then those first five games in San Francisco that he played after he was traded in 2017, if he can play like that, then I think the 49ers um, can can be a kind of a surprise team. The other thing I'll mention to you, Jay, is that I think that people have caught up to the Rams, mm-hmm. and, and maybe it was the Bears when they played them with about four five games to go right. last year, and they shut them down. And that offense never got clicking again, um, except in the playoff game against the Cowboys where they ran for like 250 yards. Oh, yeah. And I know Gurley was hurt in the championship game and and the um, and the Super Bowl, but I, I'm not totally sold on Jared Goff yet. And he played really poorly in the Super Bowl where they needed him to, you know, to play great. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think they could be a team along with Chicago that takes – step backwards this year 
No, and I can see that with the Rams too. And even with that division, uh, not that I expect the 49ers to take a quantum leap, but Seattle certainly had brought some reinforcements right. in by bringing in Clowney. And we know with Pete Carroll and, and uh, Russell Wilson at the helm, we know that they're a tough team. They're battle-tested. I understand no more Legion of Boom. But at the same time, when you have those two guys at the helm, it, it's certainly going to make uh, for an, at least not the type of division that we've seen last year where they're pretty much the Rams just led from the gate. I, I really think right. that, who knows, if Garoppolo does make that leap and if uh, Clowney, who I would think would be renewed and try to show the league that he's uh, still a force to be reckoned with, I think that NFC West could be interesting. I agree. I think, and Clowney's playing for a new contract. Yes, that too. And you know guys get extremely motivated when they're playing for big money. <laughs> oh, yeah. That goes without saying. All right, and interestingly, I have a, a interesting question for you. Considering that you've been uh, doing this for five decades and I certainly don't want to uh you know show your rage there uh Gary but this shows quite five (laughs) well you figure 70s 80s 90s you know the aughts yeah I guess you're right right. (laughs) because hey obviously you're still young man at heart and you're doing this and I'm sure that uh the fire is still burning for you to uh, go out there and obviously report everything that's happening in the league but uh could you explain especially to the the younger listeners out there uh, the difference between the league, the way it's covered today, and, and especially the way it was covered, let's say, even going back as far as the 80s are concerned? Well, uh, you know, there's a lot more media now mm-hmm. uh, covering teams, you know, because you have all these websites that pretty much anybody who wants to cover a team, you just start your own website, you get a credential. Right. You know, yeah. back when I started, you had the traditional newspapers, and, and that was it. But I think what's really changed everything is, is Twitter and social media mm. that, um, I mean, for anybody who's listening who might be a journalism student, there's been a dramatic shift from the first priority of being right and the second priority of being first. Now people are more concerned with being first and then just hoping that they're right. Right. And um, to me, that's very disappointing I guess I'm an old school journalism kind of guy where um, I still think it's really important to make sure you're right before you put news out there. And there just seems to be a lot of people that trying to make a name for themselves Mm -hmm. and throwing something out there and and hoping it sticks and, and that then they get credit for it. Um, Then the immediacy of the businesses there's a much more of a sense of urgency now in doing story. I mean, it used to be you'd have a seven or a seven thirty deadline and right. now your deadline was 10 minutes ago. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right. So if, if you, whether you work for a newspaper or a website, you're expected to, you know, file your story ASAP instead of, you know, being able to sit on the phone and, and make some calls to flush out a story. Now that they want to, you know, fresh material and and fresh content to to post right away. And I think that's chipped away at uh, the integrity of, of the journalistic journalistic integrity of a lot of these, um, you know, media entities. No, of course the integrity and the credibility, those are the two big things. And, and I can only imagine that now that you put it in that context, uh, I'm sure it's gotta be frustrating over the years. And, Considering your love of football and for as long as you've done this, uh, I'm sure that's got to 
I don't want to say it weighs on you because obviously you just focus in on what you need to do to get the job done. Yeah. But right, when you have all these other entities like you mentioned and these, if you want to call them journalists that are looking for clickbait content and to get that instant reaction, but meanwhile there's zero credibility behind it. I'm sure, like you said, as an old school writer, that certainly must uh, really not tickle your fancy, that's for sure. Well, I mean, the thing that always bothered me was, you know, if I was out with the Giants or Jets one day when I worked at the Daily News and and I was right there and I knew everything that was going on to get a call from a sports editor who's just sitting in the office and and reading Twitter or websites and saying, you know, you got to check on this, you got to check on that, this guy's writing this or that. And, you know, I'd say, well, I know more than what he's doing. And if that was something to that, you know, I would I would have written it already. Right. I know more than the person that you're bringing up to me. And it's, it's like the constant looking over the shoulder because these sports editors sit in the office with nothing else to do. Mm. And they just constantly check Twitter to see who's reporting what. So they then call their beat writers and columnists at their teams to saying, hey, why don't we have this? Mm. When a lot of time the stuff that they're regurgitating to them has no basis in fact. So um I'm very happy not to be doing the day-to-day stuff for a newspaper anymore. I have a lot of other stuff going on that keeps me busy and keeps me much happier. Mm-hmm. And um, the way the business has changed, um, it, it doesn't make it very appealing to me anymore. But you know, that's because I, I knew the other way, and I thought the other way was better. Oh, and I totally agree with you on that. All right, a couple more from me before I let you go, Gary, and I appreciate mm-hmm. a few minutes here. Uh, I know earlier this summer, sadly, we lost uh, Nick Bonacani. And uh, obviously your former colleague at HBO when you were doing uh, Inside the NFL. Uh, now, do you have, I'm sure you have plenty of stories, but is there one story that sticks out with him that you remember the most that you could share with us? Um, well, I worked with Nick for 13 years and um, t- a tough guy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think he always had that football mentality, even after his career was over, that even like in our, our meetings, he always tried to impose his will hmm. on you know, what we're going to talk about. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Right. I'm just saying that's just the way Nick was. I don't have one particular story for you other than, you know, one, once a month we would take the show on the road and we would all go out to dinner the night before we would shoot the show. And, and Nick was a big, you know, wine connoisseur. And because he wasn't paying for dinner, he always managed to, order the most expensive bottles of wine <laughs> for the table. Of course. Um, but and I always like listening to his stories, you know, about the old days in the AFL and then mm. certainly, you know, the perfect season in Miami. Um, he was a good man and he lived a, a tough life after um, his son, Ryan Mark. Mark, he was paralyzed in that game. Um, but he, he did tremendous work founding the Miami project and holding a benefit dinner in New York every year. And I can only imagine the guilt he must have felt, um, in the last 30 years of his life, you know, seeing his son get hurt, you know, playing the game that Nick did. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, you know, Mark, Mark's hero was his dad and he was inspired to play football most likely because of what his dad did. And, and then for, for Nick to have to see his son in a wheelchair from the age of 20 or 21 on, mm. it, it just, 
I just know how painful it was for him. But he tried really hard, and he did an amazing job raising millions and millions of dollars. And the Miami Project is now, you know, a really established go-to place for people who have these unfortunate accidents. Mm. I tell you, uh, and just based on what you said earlier, as far as um, both the AFC and NFC, it kind of seems like you're going on the uh, the trend. It looks like Dallas and New England is your Super Bowl pick. Is that right, or do you have another uh, two teams that'll yeah, face? Yeah, no, them? I'm picking Dallas to beat New England in the Super Bowl. Oh, look at that! Oh, that'd be so, interesting. No, interesting because yeah, I would think I, that, that at some point the Cowboys' drought has got to end. <laughs> Twenty five years, just about. I know it's amazing to think that uh, I have a, a my former radio partner that I used to do many years ago. I uh, he's also a Red Sox fan, which is kind of a weird combination. But I explained mm-hmm. to him that after uh, when Tim Wakefield gave up the home run to Aaron Boone, if I would have told you that you'd win four World Series in the next fifteen years, you'd probably think I'm off my rocker. And the same would go after winning three and four in the mid '90s that you would never even sniff a Super Bowl. Uh, he probably would think I would uh, need to be in an asylum somewhere. So just interesting how Cowboy fans have been uh, waiting so long just to get to the Holy Grail, and uh, who knows, uh, maybe this could be their year. And uh, one last thing before I let you go, our beloved New York Mets, I know you're a Mets fan for for many years from those times uh, calling in uh, here in New York, WFM with Joe Benigno and Evan Roberts. So my question to you, Gary, is, and tonight right now as we speak, it's uh, Jacob deGrom against Max Scherzer, so uh, hopefully they can score some runs for him. But uh, are you still holding on any hope uh, for the second wild card, or do you feel as if you're in the camp of, well, it was fun while it lasted? Well, I think they have a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the problem is there's just so many teams bunched up there, and there's still four games behind Chicago, I think, yeah. you know, going into that game, the, the Grom-Scherzer game, that, um, I mean, that's a bunch of games to make up, but also to have – three or four other teams that are right there with you and to emerge out of that pack, they're going to have to pretty much play lights out the rest of the season. And, you know, other than that stretch that you mentioned, which was really, you know, put together against really bad teams, except for the Indians. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as they stepped up and had to play the Braves and Cubs back to back, they lost six straight at home. Um, I, I think this is a flawed team that, took advantage of some inferior competition for a couple of weeks to get themselves back in the race. Um, I think they have the nucleus oh, yeah. of what would be a pretty good team going forward. You know, if they can fill in a couple of holes, but uh, I mean, I'm hopeful they'll make it. I never covered baseball, so I can still be a Mets fan. You know, <laughs> it was never a conflict of interest for me. Right. So uh, I'm holding out some hope. Yes. That they get hot coming down the stretch. Uh, no, same here. Uh, a few weeks ago, I did a podcast where I, uh, right before the National Series, I uh, posed the question, are you sucked in? And of course, as a fan, I, I've loved the Mets going back to the early 70s. I'm 50 years old, so my first recollection, believe it or not, it was a four-year-old when Pete Rose was fighting Buddy Harrelson at second base mm-hmm. in the NLCS. And you know, ever, that's my team. I mean, I'll you know, live and die no matter what. But it's one of those things where, yes, am I sucked in? But of course, I can't trust this team. Not necessarily just a team, but just a franchise on a whole. When you go back to all the tough losses that we've had over the years, whether it's Game 1 in 2015, Game 1 in 2000, which I certainly want to bring up, of course, with the Yankees and uh, all the others, the lost seasons in between. So uh, I'm, I'm sure you yeah, feel our pain. If you want to recount all the you know frustrating times with the Mets, we're going to need 
an awful lot of time. <laughs> right. That's a whole other <laughs> podcast. Absolutely. Well, Gary, uh, thank you so much for a few minutes. This was fun. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. And, uh, of course, on The Athletic, definitely follow Gary on Twitter, etc. And uh, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Well, thanks a lot, Jay. I enjoyed it. Again, thanks to Gary Myers of The Athletic for joining me on the podcast. Uh, anytime you can get someone who's been around the league for 40-plus years with all the information and wisdom that he has for the Shield, uh, it's a no-brainer to have him on. So it was great to spend 35 minutes with him to chop it up about the NFL. And now it's time to get Jay Reel's perspective of what to expect here in this 2019 season. So we'll start with the divisions. We'll go right from the top all the way to the bottom from the AFC East down to the NFC West. Starting with the AFC East... And to no surprise here, this is going to be the New England Patriots in a breeze. They're probably going to win their 12 games. They'll host at least one game in their building as far as the postseason is concerned, possibly two. And there are no signs of them slowing down by any stretch of the imagination. Now, of course, there's going to be a time probably early on in the season, week two, week three, week four, where they'll have a hiccup, where they certainly won't play well. And a lot of the haters are going to come out and say, oh, this is the beginning of the end. 42-year-old quarterback, no Gronk, although they have some decent positions and young wide receivers, and you would think that they would be an upgrade over what they've had recently, and defensively, they look like they're going to be as solid as they've been going back to even the first three Super Bowls, the Teddy Brewskis of the world, Richard Seymour's, etc. But I could see them having just another typical Patriot year. And there's no way you could discount what they've done, and there's no way you could even think that they do not have another shot in them considering that Brady has not been his former MVP self and they don't actually need him to be. That's the thing. They don't need him to throw 4,800 yards. They don't need him to throw 40 touchdowns. All he has to do is just be typical Tom, efficient, clutch, big spot, etc. And that's it. And we all know how the coach is, the mad scientist himself, And chances are they'll be at another AFC championship game playing whomever it may be for the right to go to another Super Bowl. As far as the rest of the division is concerned, the Dolphins, they're probably going to be the worst team in the league. We know about the trades they made over the weekend. Kiko Alonso to New Orleans, Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills to Houston. Of course, Brian Flores, the coach, is not saying that, oh, we're going to tank. But it's going to be a long year in Miami. Now what you're left is the two teams in the middle. And with the Jets real quick, to me, it's three things. One, progression of the quarterback, how he does here in year two as he continues to mature, as he continues to build his confidence and take that step up as far as his play is concerned and making the Jets, not for this year, but for the years to come, a bona fide contender. Number two, what are you going to get from the defense, especially from the corners and the lack of pass rush that they have? We understand this stout as far as the line is concerned, Jamal Adams is the quarterback of that defense. But besides that, with Avery Williamson being on the shelf for the year with an ACL and not having enough defensive prowess to hold good offensive teams, that's going to be a worry for me. And not that I'm a fan, but that would be a worry for me as a Jet fan to know when they're going to get key spots and key times, especially here in the second year on the first year coach, Adam Gase, which that's number three. Now, Gase, as we know, is an offensive mind. You would think that with having Darnold 
under his wing. He's going to do whatever it takes to have him flourish, to have him be that franchise quarterback that the Jets have been longing for. But you also have to wonder, with him and Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, how they're going to... First year, I think they'll be fine. But for the long haul, year two, year three, if it even goes that far, what is Gase going to do as far as put his fingerprints on this organization that is, let's face it, is starving not only for a playoff trip, which they have not seen since 2010, but also just some credibility. And as we've seen time and time again with Jet coaches in the first years, we talked about it earlier with Gary Myers, whether your name is Eric Mangini, Herm Edwards, Rex Ryan, and even Todd Bowles, they've all had winning seasons their first year as Jet coach. But it's after that where you have to worry. And I understand that you can't think about next year. You can't go down the line. You only have to think about what's ahead of you. And rightfully so. But at the same time, I wasn't crazy about this hire. I know that Gase, did he deserve a second chance? Maybe not this soon. But we'll see what type of coach he's going to be here under the spotlight here in New York, the fans, etc. This isn't Miami anymore. So to me, I think that's just going to be a huge factor when it comes to how is this going to play out not only just for this year but for years to come whether or not this is going to be your guy moving forward especially when you have a young quarterback that's looking to do big things in his career I think the Jets will probably have a winning year I'll say 9-7 and but I don't think they'll make the postseason and Buffalo I know that they have strengthened their defense offensively They certainly have some steps to make. I could see them playing a lot of low-scoring games. But at the same time, I don't see them going anywhere near the playoffs either. To me, that's more 7-9, 6-10 in that range. As far as the AFC North is concerned, now this is right up my alley because everybody knows I'm a Steeler fan. And I'll get to the Steelers a little bit later on. But Cleveland, of course, has been the talk of the league since the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. And if you even want to go back to that final game of the year when they lost in Baltimore where Baker Mayfield was ferociously making a comeback to try to beat the Ravens in that final game was picked off by now the Jet linebacker, C.J. Mosley. So when the Browns, with everything that they've done this offseason, hired Freddie Kitchens now as their coach, his first time at the helm, and all the expectations that certainly have not circled anywhere near the state of Ohio, or at least the Northeast Ohio, because of course you have the Bengals in the same state. Now, they're front and center. They're bullseye. I get that a lot of people are going to look at this team as a team that has a ton of talent, that can certainly go places this year. But when I look at the Browns, to me, that has three words written all over it. Front running team. I could see them... This week, as they open up against Tennessee at home, I wouldn't be surprised. Watch that be 31-10. The city will go crazy. The team will start reading its press clippings. And then wouldn't that be something to come a week later, right here in the backyard of the Meadowlands, to face the Jets on a Monday night and lay a big egg? I could certainly see that happening. I could see it to the point where they could have these games where they're rocking chair type games. Not to say they're going to blow everybody out. But they're going to have their moments where they're going to win big and force a lot of turnovers and it's going to be all about swag and all about style. And when you have those games, whether it's against the Ravens or even the Steelers for that matter, and those are going to be two ferocious games. 
The Raven games, of course, as well, they always are going to be tough considering historically with the Ravens moving to, well, at the time, the Browns moving to Baltimore and then becoming the Ravens and then winning two Super Bowls since. But I get for, that's more for the fans. The players, they're not going to care about that. But still, those are their rivals. And the Steelers, they have not beaten the Steelers in a million years. So that's going to be just a ferocious four games for them. And that's not even including the Bengals, which is their in-rival state or in-state rival, excuse me. But to me, I think, will they have their moments this year? Absolutely. I don't think that they're, can they win nine games, 10 games, win a division possibly? Yeah, they can. I think they're going to fall short. And I think things will go swimmingly in the beginning, but there's going to be a rough patch or two along the way. And the league will take notice. When you have all those personalities on that team, and Baker, I understand he's trying to be the leader and he's trying to change the culture, the dynamic of Cleveland Browns football. But again, those personalities that could just self-combust at any time and with a first-year coach, that's going to be a tall order. As far as the rest of the division is concerned, the Bengals with the new coach in Zach Taylor, he under the Sean McVay tree. I, I can see a lot of growing pains, pains there with... Andy Dalton, who of course has been the quarterback there for many years, but A.J. Green, who has not been himself having those toe injuries, and I don't even know when he's coming back, and they've lost a lot of defensive players there over the years, guys who were key parts of that defense, and I can see just, I'm not going to say it's going to be a long year, but certainly it's going to be a year that the Bengals are going to be looking for the future. As far as Ravens and Steelers are concerned, the Ravens, it's all on their quarterback. And I get that he's dynamic, athletic, and a lot of people think that he's going to break the season rushing record for a quarterback. I believe Michael Vick, uh, did he have 1,000 yards? I don't even know. I don't recall. But to me, that's a, just a senseless, trivial stat. But you wonder, talking about progress in quarterbacks, just like we did with Sam Darnold, a one Lamar Jackson to me, in order for them to win these games, he cannot run the ball 15 to 20 times a game. Over the long haul, it's not going to happen. Because people could talk about his height and his speed and all that, but he's not built like a Cam Newton. He's not built like Dante Culpepper. He's a guy that is elusive and is going to make people miss. But boy, he's going to have to learn how to slide. And not only that, but he's going to have to learn to make big plays with his arm. And I get he's going to make safe throws. He's not going to. He's not a guy that's going to take a lot of chances. And I'm sure John Harbaugh, the coach of the team, they probably drew up a very simplified offensive game plan for him to not take those chances. And when you ever have an offense like that, despite the fact that he is a great runner, to me, those old habits are going to die hard. Because he's always going to look to put the ball down and run as opposed to try to scramble, slide, move out of the pocket and make a play with his arm as opposed to doing it with his legs. And as far as the Steelers are concerned, to me, it's two things that stick out for this coming year. Well, three. One is the locker room. You would think that it's a breath of fresh air there with especially Antonio Brown. And we talked about this ad infinitum in earlier podcasts, especially toward the end of last football season. But that certainly has to be a huge help and even Le'Veon Bell, to another degree, considering that he held out all of last year and having to answer all the questions in reference to, oh, is he coming back? Oh, what's happening? The offensive lineman being down on him, promised that he was going to come back by week one or week 10 or whatever it was. So I think that's one thing that certainly lifted a giant 
you know, lifted just a ton of pressure off their shoulders having to deal with that day in and day out. The second thing is, to me, and it's dangerous, but Devin Bush being the focal point of that defense for a rookie to come in here and pretty much, I'm going to say this, pretty much asked to be the savior on his defense. And I say that because Ryan Shazier, who manned the position prior to him, and we all know what happened with Shazier a couple of years ago, but to ask a rookie to not only have that much influence, but to rely so much on him, I think it'd be dangerous. And it's going to be a very interesting test week one against Brady and the Pats, how he's going to fare in that game. And I'm sure that's going to be a lesson that he'll, he, he'll wish that he was back in the Big Ten playing against uh, Iowa, Purdue, Michigan State, etc. But his contribution to this team this year is going to be enormous. Because as we've seen time and time again, especially last year, not having that guy in the middle of the field go east to west, north south, up and down the field and make plays was what killed the Steelers last year. Their secondary is good. Obviously, they re-signed Joe Hayden. Steven Nelson, they brought him from Kansas City. Terrell Edmonds has made some strides here in camp in his second year. The defensive line is stopped with Stephon Tewitt and Cameron Hayward. So it's having that guy in the middle, which is the key to all this. And by drafting Devin Bush, he's a guy that's going to be heavily relied on. Obviously, he's going to be up to the task, which is fantastic. But at the same time, I think it's going to be a little bit too much. And I hope, and I get that they're going to rely on him considering where they drafted him, etc. But the one thing is, is that I just hope that the Steelers look at that as, as far as his production is concerned, that they look at that and try not to put too much on his plate. And I think that's going to be a very, even underrated thing because a lot of people think that Devin Bush is going to come in here and he's going to have a cape and is going to be the savior of this defense. And I don't think that's going to be the case. It's a tough learning curve. We know how, just when you thought you've seen it all, or just when you thought you've studied enough in film and so on and so forth, there's always going to be another wrinkle. And he's got the true test coming Sunday night against New England. And the third thing is their schedule. Because the Steelers' schedule is unlike one that I've seen for many years. They have a stretch where they play three games at home, which they have done in the past. They have home games against the Dolphins, Colts, and the Rams in the middle part of the year. But they have a stretch at the end where they play five of seven on the road, including their last two at the Jets and at the Ravens. And although the Steelers have been a pretty good road team, but you wonder, as you get later in the year, and their buys around week seven, but as you get later in the year, there's nothing like having that home cooking. And you just wonder, even with a veteran leadership with Ben Roethlisberger, who I think is going to have a good year, and I'm not worried about the loss of Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. Yes, their production was all pro. And there's no doubt about it. But remember this, Steeler fans. When we won our Super Bowls, now granted, Heinz Ward was still a very good receiver, Pro Bowl receiver, etc. But when you're talking about Cedric Wilson, Nate Washington, although he was a number one pick, but certainly and had his moment in the sun in Santonio Holmes, but we don't need a guy like Antonio Brown or even look at the running back position when we had Willie Parker, Moel Moore. You know, you had guys like that that certainly did the job, but weren't of all pro caliber. So as much as people may think that, oh, they're going to take a step back on offense considering they lose these two top talents, but to me, that's nonsense. Obviously, they didn't win anything with them, and they could certainly win without them. So that's how I look at the Steelers, and I think that they 
will make the postseason. I think they even should win the division because the Ravens, I know that even with Lamar Jackson and him being a guy that certainly is going to make a lot of flashy plays, but I wonder over 16 weeks, and teams are going to get hip to him. Just look at the playoff game against San Diego, or formerly San Diego, the LA Chargers. When you look at that game and what he did then, for three and a half quarters, he did nothing. They stacked seven in the box with safeties, the Derwin Jameses of the world, and what'd you get? Yeah, you got probably one of the worst performances that a Raven quarterback has had in the postseason. And that's saying a lot, considering they had Trent Dilfer, a guy who just had to make one or two plays a game, but thanks to that defense, carried him to the Super Bowl. So that's what we got in the North. The South, I know having Andrew Luck gone, pretty much you would think that this is going to be Houston's division to win. I know Jacksonville is the wild card here in this division because with Nick Foles now having to carry the load himself, a defense that certainly prides themselves, but let's face it, you have a guy that could be on his way out in Jalen Ramsey who came in with an armored truck during training camp, a team that's another front-running type of team, and even though they have a, an upgrade at quarterback, but we've seen Nick Foles in these types of spots before. He's the type of guy that when he comes off the bench, he, whatever, for whatever the reason, as we've seen in Philadelphia the last couple of years, not only does he raise his game, but he raises the game with the players around him. So now that he has the full-time job, is that going to be enough? Because as we've seen in the past, whether it was in St. Louis, where he bombed and fizzled there, you wonder if he's just a career backup, or he's a guy that now has learned and he's going to take his game up a level to hopefully take Jacksonville to bigger heights than they did a couple years ago. Tennessee is kind of hard to pick with them with Vrabel's the coach. Mariota, he's a guy that it seems like from one week he seems to be a competent NFL quarterback and the next he takes you know, a couple steps back. Obviously they have a really good running game. Tennessee's just one of those middling teams. And although they made the postseason a couple years ago and they had that crazy comeback in Kansas City and then was able to win that playoff game, but Tennessee, like, what what are they great at? And then you have Indy with Andrew Luck now retired, Jacoby Brissett being pushed to the forefront here. And the Colts, you know, they have a good offensive line and they have good running back, they have talent and a young defense. Really, it's going to be on the arms and legs of Jacoby Brissett as far as how deep and far this team's going to go here in 2019. And Houston, you would think with the trades that they made, especially to get the left tackle, and Deshaun Watson, as we all know, another dynamic offensive talent with DeAndre Hopkins, their top wide receiver. No clowny, but J.J. Watt. And that's the one thing, J.J. Watt. He's always going to have that one injury a year. I know last year he, he remained healthy for the most part, but still, uh, but you would think it's going to be Houston's division to win. So that's how I look at the AFC South. As far as the AFC West is concerned, uh, to me, it's Kansas City and LA for the top two spots. But Kansas City, I think they're going to take, I'm not going to say they're going to take a step back, but do you expect Mahomes to throw for 5,000 yards again and 50 touchdowns? It's not out of the realm of possibility, but to duplicate that type of production and teams are going to be a little bit more keyed on what they're going to do here and their offense is loaded. We all know that. And you want to bring in an older but wiser LaShawn McCoy into the mix. Well, I know he's going to be hungry and thirsting to get a chance to play in a Super Bowl. 
Uh, I could see, I see them having a big year. I don't know if Mahomes is going to have that type of year again, but he's certainly going to be. For those who love fantasy, and obviously everybody knows I don't, but for those who love fantasy, he's going to be the guy. A lot of people are going to choose as number one, and rightfully so, because he's young, he's got the arm, he's got the flair, and why not? The Chargers, on the other hand, it's going to be interesting to see how this Melvin Gordon thing plays out, and the just the loss of him. Because they do not have a running back that's going to be anywhere close to what he once is or once was. Rivers at 37 is looking to get that opportunity to to get to a Super Bowl. Derwin James, who's not going to play until November with that foot injury. That's a big blow to that defense. Chargers, it's weird. They're one of those teams that they've had so, so many excruciating Losses in the regular season, and they've always found and reinvented ways to lose. But last year, things started to click and put together. And the thing is, is that they didn't win a division, although I believe they were 12 and 4. And how I look at it is, is that although I think they could have another good season, I don't think they're going to have a 12 and 4 season. But you just wonder with the clock on Phillip Rivers' career starting to wind down, and I get that quarterbacks are now playing to their 40s, as we've seen and talked about with Tom Brady. But I don't know if they're going to have enough to make a deep run, even with James coming back in November, uh, to make it to a Super Bowl. Can I see him making a postseason? I can, but they're going to do it as a wild card team. As far as Denver's concerned, Joe Flacco, uh, what could you say about him? We know about his career and him leaving Baltimore to go to Denver under Vic Fangio, who's going to have those two beasts in Von Miller and Bradley Chubb to terrorize the quarterback. Now Denver's another one of those teams in the middle. You kind of wonder. They had a big year from Philip Lindsay to running back. We know they're going to rush their quarterback like we haven't seen. And uh, But other than that, that's all you could pretty much hang your hat on. And how much does Joe Flacco have left as a quarterback to even make a difference, not only just in the division, but if they do happen to make a chance to go to the postseason, how far they can go with him at the helm. And then Oakland... I know people probably watched the Hard Knocks. I only saw the first episode. I didn't watch it all. But that, that's a team. I'm sorry. Uh, to me, that has 4-12 and 12 written all over it. Is there talent there? there? There is. But Gruden, I don't want to say the game has passed him by. He knows more about the game than I do. But I, I don't know what else to say about that. I, I just think the Raiders are going to have a long year, and I'll just keep it at that. As far as the NFC is concerned... Now do you have Ezekiel Elliott signed on the dotted line? That is an enormous boon for the Dallas Cowboys. So you don't have to worry about that. After week one, week two, week three, a la Emmett Smith back in 1993, wondering if the Cowboys get off to a slow start, when is the clock going to start ticking on the Ezekiel Elliott signing? And you could put that aside. Listen, he's arguably the best running back in the league. I would think that the Cowboys with them locking up a few other players, Jalen Smith, and I understand they got to lock down uh, Dak Prescott, and he's coming, not this year, I'm sure sometime next year, and Amari Cooper, etc. But the Cowboys, uh, right now they have the makings of having a big year. They really do. Their defense certainly is a young defense, is a defense that could, that have made plays, they're very opportunistic. We know what they can do offensively, especially with Ezekiel Elliott, because he's the guy that, amazing as it is, in this day and age of 2019, where the NFL is so pass-happy, 
that's the one running back that certainly not only thrives in that offense, but he is the one, a la Reggie Jackson, is the straw that stirs their drink. So I can see the Cowboys now having a big year. The Eagles, on the other hand, I could see them too. And the big question mark is Carson Wentz. Obviously, from a health perspective, we know the injuries that he's had over the past couple of years. But now that Nick Foles is no longer over his shoulder, that he could certainly relax, take a deep breath, and hopefully, even with that start a couple of years ago where he was 10-1 and before he tore his ACL out in the LA Coliseum, you would only hope he gets back to that form. Because there was a guy, excuse me, that was on his way to winning an MVP that year. So, no matter how you look at it, it to me, it's going to be Dallas and Philly. And you could flip-flop either one, whether it's 11-5 Dallas, 10-6 and Philly, or vice versa. So, I think that's going to be a fight to the finish with those two teams. As far as the Giants and Redskins is concerned, real quick on the Giants, the Daniel Jones watch to me is... And as Gary said... He probably feels it's going to be more after the seven and a half that I gave him as far as the over-under is concerned. And I can see that. And he certainly makes a great point after their bye. Because you're going to see where they are. If they're seven and three, you figure Eli's going to play. If they're four and six, Daniel Jones is going to be starting on the center. And if you're the Giants, the two things you're going to look at is when does Daniel Jones finally get to play in a game? Because... When you draft a kid that high and knowing that, and we could go through the whole list of players who are high draft picks who pretty much play in their first season and chances are you're going to see Daniel Jones at some point this year. It's just a matter of when. And if I'm a Giant fan, and mind you, I'm a Steeler fan. Everybody knows that. But if this was a situation where Daniel Jones was drafted by the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger, and even though Roethlisberger's played a lot better than Eli over the last couple of years, I understand they've had a better offensive line and have been a better team than the Giants. But still, how I look at it is like Ben has had a great run. It's 15 years, but now it's time to see what the future is because quarterbacks do not grow on trees. So if Eli, by any way, shape, or form, is just giving you adequate stats, to me it's not about adequate stats. You know, I don't want 19 for 35 for 189 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. That's not cutting it. For that, bringing Daniel Jones. And I understand if they're winning with those numbers, you have no choice but to keep Eli Manning in there. But if I'm a Giant fan, no matter how nostalgic and no matter how you may love Eli Manning, I want to see what the kid has. He's not Davis Webb. He's not Kyle Lawletta. He's a guy that was drafted number six overall. Granted, it was at Duke. You know, it wasn't a top flight school as far as a college football program is concerned. So you know what? It's time. They're going to be very good on offense, even minus Old Beckham Jr. But the thing is, where are you going to see the Giants defensively? The Giant defense, it's a shell of its old self. And I'm not even going back to the days of LT. I'll even go back to their recent Super Bowl teams. Michael Strahan, OCU Minora. I mean, they, they don't have anywhere close to that. So the Giants, I think that, can I say it's going to be a long season? Well, I will say this. Their their schedule is favorable, as we talked about before. But the second part is brutal. And if by some chance they start off 1-3, and it's going to be a long year. Not to say they got to go 3-1. and I mean, 2-2 and is not much better than 1-3. and But as we all know, if you have a bad loss at Tampa, 
or uh, just a brutal loss against the Redskins, that could certainly permeate a locker room. And you kind of think, oh boy, here we go again. It's going to be a long start, a long season, whatever it may be. And who knows? That's when a Daniel Jones watch will certainly begin. So keep an eye on that. And then the Redskins, uh, you think another long year there. I don't think Dwayne Gaskins, even though with Alex Smith on the mend, chances are you're not going to see him at all this year. It's going to be Case Keenum. And you wonder with Haskins, I said Gaskins, excuse me, Dwayne Haskins, you just wonder whether or not his time is going to be coming sooner than later. And the Redskins have pieces. You have a decent defense. They have the kid, uh, Darius Jice or Juice, however you pronounce his name, who tore an ACL in that preseason game last year. You want to see what he could bring to the table. But the Redskins, I think they're going to have another long year. As far as the NFC North is concerned, I get that the Bears are the team where they feel like they're going to take the next step. I'm not a Mitchell Trubisky lover either. That's not to say he's not a good quarterback or he can't be a good quarterback, but I don't know. I, I, to me, the jury's still out on him. Green Bay is going to be interesting because of Matt LaFleur and the relationship with Aaron Rodgers. That's something to watch here this coming season. The Vikings with Kirk Cousins, you think they're going to have a bounce back year. Obviously, they were one game from a Super Bowl two years ago, and last year they were just 500. And then the Lions, a lot of people think the Lions could surprise some people. I need to see it before I can believe it. Matthew Stafford, who has put up good numbers in the past, actually threw for 5,000 yards once, at least once. That I know for sure, but it's never amounted to anything. They haven't won a playoff game since, what was it, 19, since the 60s. Oh, excuse me, since 1991. They haven't gone to, I take that back, because they did beat the Cowboys before losing to the Redskins in the NFC Championship game. So my apologies to the Lion fans out there. So they have won a game, but it's been years since they've made any impact, especially in the postseason. But who knows? Maybe there'll be some strides this year. It's going to be a tricky and tough division. But you would think the Bears, although there may be a surprise coming out of Green Bay and maybe Minnesota for that matter, but should be a very competitive division. The NFC South, you would think this is going to be New Orleans division even with some steadfast competition from Atlanta, maybe even Carolina, Tampa, Bruce Arians with Jameis Winston, you would think that could be a match made in heaven. Certainly remains to be seen. They have the young defensive piece that they certainly needed, just like the Steels with Devin Bush and a kid, Devin White. As far as the other teams, as I mentioned, I would think the Saints, after trying to get the bitter taste in their mouths of the the Disappointment of the loss last year in the NFC Championship game. So they certainly feel like, not to say they have anything to prove, but I bet you they're chomping at the bit to get back at it. And who knows what you're going to get from Carolina. Cam Newton, who injured himself in that preseason game against New England. We'll see how that affects him throughout the season. We all know that his shoulder last year was a big problem. But uh, Carolina, they can be formidable. But again, you know they started 6-2 last year and then they just wilted down the stretch. And then Atlanta, they certainly haven't gotten past their Super Bowl hangover 28 to 3, not to bring that up to the fans of the Falcons, but they certainly have to get past that. And then in the NFC West, I think it's going to be between the Rams and Seahawks. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks win the division. You know, the Rams for everything they did last year and now as they re-sign Jared Goff to I still can't believe this money. Four years, 134 million. Okay, that's not the problem. But 110 guaranteed? 
I get that he had a very good NFC Championship game down 13-0 the way they rallied and came back. But did you watch that Super Bowl game? I mean, talk about a deer in headlights. And I'm not trying to knock Goff because he has ability. But, geez. But anyway, so I think the Seahawks with the Pete Carroll-Russell Wilson combo. I know they don't really have a lot of playmakers on offense. Their defense, you would think that adding Clowney to the roster. And again, it's not Legion of Boom. But they're very resourceful. They find ways to win. Their quarterback is gutty. I would think the Rams are going to win this division. It's just based on the town alone. But Gurley, I don't know if he's going to be the same player that he once was. They do have very good skill position players. Not great, but good. You know, Robert Woods is of the world. Uh, guys like that. And defensively, you know, they, they do have Aaron Donald, who's probably the best defensive player in the league. And you would think the Rams, but I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle makes a run at this thing. The Niners, we'll see what happens with Garoppolo here. Now that'll start this year. He started last year, but we all know Torin ACL, I believe it was what, week three in Kansas City. So you didn't get to see a lot of him. We'll see what he could do this year. And then the Arizona Cardinals with Klingsbury and Kyler Murray hand in hand. Uh, that you think it's going to be a long year there. A lot of growing pains. A lot of tough losses. And let's see if that uh, marriage works there out in the desert. So before I get to my Super Bowl predictions, just breaking out the divisions, I will uh, cut to the chase and go right to my over-unders. Over-unders are the number that Vegas puts out for win totals of the year. And you're going to pick over or you're going to pick under. And I'm going to go through this quickly. I did this ahead of time only because it's to save time. I didn't want to stare into a sheet of paper and have to guess along while I'm on the air. So with that being said, Oakland's number six. I said before, four and 12. And I'm sticking with that. I can see 4-12 and 12 written all over. This is their last year in that stadium, which is sad. They're going to go to Vegas next year. I don't know if... I don't think the teams will be checked out. But you wonder if the organization is going to start checking out as you get to the end of this. Oakland and the relationship with the fans. That's going to be rough. Uh, and it's just sad to see. But what are you going to do? That's the NFL in 2019. But Derek Carr, who was an MVP candidate before he broke his leg a few years ago, the guy has not recovered to be anything close to a semblance of a quarterback that he was once at that time. The Antonio Brown soap opera, you got that you have to deal with. There is talent there, but I don't know. And then Gruden with the, as the coach there, I, I just think that this has 4-12 and 12 written all over it. I really do. So that's uh, my first team. Second... I'm picking Dallas and over nine. Having Ezekiel Elliott is enormous, and they certainly don't have to worry about that, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. The defense is good. I actually think they can make a deep run, and I know Gary said that he feels that the Cowboys win a Super Bowl. And can they? I think they could. I think he's right. But I think they'll be north of nine. Hey, even if they go 10 and six, like I said, they'll certainly cover that number. My thing is it's going to be Dak Prescott. And deep down inside, I know he's got to push it aside. And you would think that he's the type of guy, you know, he's not a me guy. Or it doesn't seem to be that way. But you got to wonder, with Zeke getting paid and a lot of his other teammates getting paid, and especially if he has a productive year, 
And if he gets off to a fast start, is there going to be a part of him that's going to think that, hey, you know, I'm just as good as Jared Goff. I'm just as good as some of these other guys that are making big time money. And is that going to permeate throughout the locker room? I mean, who knows? But uh, I would think that the Cowboys are going to have a big year. So I'm going to pick them at uh, over at nine. And for obvious reasons, I think I did the same last year. New England at 11, I'm picking that as an over. Look at the division. And that's all there is to it. They, they win 11, 12 games every year. Now, I know it's dangerous because it's not 10 and a half where they can win 11. But I think they'll go 12 and 4. They'll win a division. And away we go. So, New England over 11. Uh, next over, I'm going to pick Seattle over 8.5. Now, last year, this was tough because I picked them as an under. I thought they were going to be a disappointing team. But they made the postseason. They lost a tough game in Dallas in that wild card game. And I think that they're going to be right there for the division. Uh, for everything that I mentioned before. Russell Wilson, gutty, gritty, Pete Carroll, as we all know, is a good coach, minus that Super Bowl blunder, a big one at that. And who knows what Clowney playing for a contract. And Seattle, them being resourceful, 12th man, et cetera, I think that they're going to have, uh, they're not going to have a great year, but I think they'll do, do better than eight and a half. So I'm going to pick them. So I got my three overs there, and then I'm picking two unders. So I'll bring my total to three overs, three unders. San Francisco is at eight. I'm not going to say they're going to have a long year. And who knows what Garoppolo's going to do. We understand we got the tight end, George Kittle, who's an all-pro. Their running back position, I know they've been nicked up a bit. The kid McKinnon that they got from Minnesota a couple years ago, he's out for the year again. And defensively, what are you going to get from Nick Bosa this year? We all know about his injury history. He's a guy that obviously highly touted. His brother Joey's down the coast in L.A. But as far as Nick is concerned, is he going to see the field and make an impact? And Garoppolo... Maybe too much for him to handle. Uh, that's not to say he's going to play bad. That's not to say he can't do the job. But eight wins, can they win nine, especially in a tough division where they got the Rams and Seattle there? No, I think they'll fall just a little bit short. They may win seven, probably six. So I'm picking San Francisco as an under. And then I know this is kind of like taking candy away from a baby, but I'm going to pick Indianapolis under seven and a half. And um, it's not because I have no faith in Jacoby Brissett, but I need to see him do it. If he's the type of guy that is going to win games with his arm more so than his legs, and he's got a whole year to learn this offense, he doesn't have to worry about Andrew Luck, but is he going to be, and I'm sure he's going to be ready and willing to take on the task, but this is his team now. So, and we haven't seen this before, other than, you know, a few games here, a few games there, and even the games that he played a couple years ago. So, I don't know if it's going to be I think it's going to be close. I'm not saying they're going to be a four-win team, but seven and a half, that means it's going to be seven and nine. I can see the Colts being just that. I don't think they're going to be a bad team because there's a lot of talent throughout that roster, as I mentioned earlier. But I just think they were nine and a half with Andrew Luck being there, so now they lost two games, seven and a half with Jacoby Brissett. Uh, I think that's going to be a tough task for the new quarterback, and therefore the Colts, are going to be an under at seven and a half. So to recap, Oakland under six, Dallas over nine, New England over 11, Seattle over eight and a half, San Francisco under eight, and Indianapolis under seven and a half for my over-under picks. My knockout prediction, I'm picking Seattle this week. Knockout, of course, is forget about the spread. They just have to win outright, and I've been awful with my knockout picks. Last year, I think last week, last week, last year I picked New Orleans, And what happened? They lost in the first week. And I remember years ago when I did the 
my old show, I picked New Orleans again, and I said, never again will I pick New Orleans. And they post Houston, so that's definitely a stay-away game. There's no way I would pick them over the Texans in that first of two Monday night games this coming week. And as far as the week is concerned, real quick, you have some very interesting games. I know week one is kind of, you're just happy that football's here. So you may not have a ton of matchups. You may not be crazed about a lot of these games, whether it's, you know, Baltimore at Miami. Uh, but you do have a couple of pretty good games here. Chiefs and Jaguars are going to be a good game. Down in the heat in Jacksonville. Rams and Panthers will be an interesting test for Carolina. Falcons, Vikings, two teams looking to do big things this year. Titans and Browns, like I mentioned, Cleveland. I could see them getting off to a good start here. Uh, Colts and Chargers. Let's see what Jacoby Brissett could do out there in L.A. And, of course, you have Giants and Cowboys. They seem they always open the year, usually on Sunday night, but you have the late game. And then you have Texans, Saints, and then Raiders, Broncos, the Monday night game. Steelers, Patriots, your Sunday night game. And then, of course, tonight to open the season, because I am recording this Thursday, is Packers and Bears for the 100th NFL season. And my Super Bowl picks, before I sign off, I can't pick New England people. I'm sorry. And I know it's probably bad to do so. My Super Bowl pick should have been the Super Bowl last year when you think about it. I'm picking Casey, New Orleans, and I'm going to pick Drew Brees to win New Orleans Saints the Super Bowl. Remember, Casey was a D Ford offsides from making the Super Bowl, and we all know about the pass interference or the non-pass interference that happened there at the end of the game with the Saints and Rams. So Casey, New Orleans, where the Saints will be marching in with their second Super Bowl down in Miami for Super Bowl 54. So that's going to do it, people. Thank you for downloading and listening to this content as I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to what it is that to say. Not only just about the world of sports, but of course, bringing you the 2019 NFL preview. And for those who want to contribute to the program, you could do that two ways. One would be to go to your phone, tablet, wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, iHeartRadio. All you have to do is just go and hit the subscribe button. My podcast will go right to your phone, tablet, wherever you use or however you get your podcast. They'll go right to it. You don't have to worry about going back each and every week or each and every time to find my podcast. If you just subscribe, it'll show up on your feed and you'll download it, listen to it. And I would sincerely appreciate if you could do that. Not only that, leave a rating, post a review. As I say each and every week, your participation is vital to have a person like myself who independently hosts, edits, writes, and produces this podcast. So with all the other podcasts that are out there, it's just going to increase the visibility and generate a lot of interest for future guests, whether that be the sports writer, the blogger, athlete, former or current, broadcaster, etc., you name it. So if you could go ahead and do so, I would greatly appreciate that. The other way you can contribute to my podcast is go to my Patreon page. Patreon is P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N. Patreon, it's a site where if you want to contribute in any way, shape, or form, you could do so just to the production value of this podcast, whether it goes to equipment, to advertising, things of that nature, and you could do so at patreon.com, excuse me, slash the J Reels podcast. Go to any of my social media accounts if you want to leave me a question, comment, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you could do so at the following, J Reels on Instagram, J Reels 1, just a number on Twitter, the J Reels podcast on my Facebook fan page, and of course, an email at the J Reels podcast at gmail.com. As I deliver each and every week, every Monday, as I kick off the week with everything that's happening in the world of sports, as I deliver to you my passion, 
what fuels me, this is what I love to do, is just to not only entertain, but of course, deliver credible sports talk to the masses, to people who are interested in sports, who love it just like I do, whether it's on the diamond, on the ice, on the hardwood, on the gridiron, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J-Rose podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Enjoy week one of the NFL. We'll be back on Monday to cover it all and then some. And until then, everybody, on the flip, baby.